Hello, I'm Rod Butler. Welcome to Let God Speak. Most of us will experience hardship and suffering during our life. But have you noticed that some people rise above their hardship and suffering and get on with life, while sadly others become bitter, unhappy and angry at God? Today we're going to see what the Bible says about how we can learn to cope and mature through life's crucibles of hardship. So when the hardships come, and they will, we are not overwhelmed. By learning to cope, we can even be a blessing to others. Join us now with your Bibles as we discuss this important topic. On our panel today, we have John Cosmeyer and Harold Harker. Welcome, gents. Morning. Thank you. Before we start, let us bow and have prayer. Gracious Father, we're going to be discussing a really important topic today, and that is the issue of trials and suffering in our lives and how we can cope. We ask, Lord, for the Holy Spirit to guide our discussion and to give us the insights we need. May you bless us and our viewers, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, there are three things that the Christian needs to understand uh, regarding suffering. And the first one is the understanding of the role of the Holy Spirit. The second one, the importance of our free will. And finally, the need for us to persevere. We're going to discuss each of these, but we're going to start firstly with the role of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to start with reading chapter, uh, sorry, John chapter 16 and verse 7, which says, I'm reading from the King James, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, and I'll, I will send him unto you. So Harold, just a question. If Jesus has been with the disciples, he's been healing the sick and performing miracles, and he's son of man, son of God, why would it be expedient for him to go away? Well, in the plan of salvation... Jesus, as God, he was born here as a human and he lived a sinless life and then gave his sinless life to pay the penalty of death to all who've sinned. And then he goes back to heaven as our high priest. And as he returns there, he ministers for us. And then he promises the Holy Spirit. Let me read for you John 16, 13. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own, for he, uh, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. Now, Jesus, when he was here, was restricted because he was in a human body. He has taken our body forever, and he could only be in one place at one time. Now he foresaw that there would be billions of people on this earth. How could he be with all of them? So he had to go and the Holy Spirit has come and is not restricted because he can be everywhere at once to guide each of us personally into all truth. In that sense, it was best for Jesus to go to give us the Holy Spirit. Mm, yeah, very, very interesting that. Just uh, going to that 
verse you read, uh, verse 13, it says here that um, um, the Spirit will guide you into all truth. John, why would it say guide? When you read verse 8, and I'm reading from the New King James Version of John chapter 16, and it says, And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. I mean, these are three very serious things. Mm-hmm. But they, the Holy Spirit only guides. He doesn't force our will. True. Because God does not force mm. the will of people. And so we have him who has taken the place of Jesus as the guiding spirit mm. of our decisions and of our actions. And he gives us what we really need without forcing us. Mm. And that's interesting because by comparison, you consider Jesus came to set the captives free. So obviously someone's enslaved people, which is force. Mm. And it says in 1 Peter 5, 8, the devil's like a roaring lion devouring, which yeah. is, that's clearly not uh, wooing, that's forcing. So we see a comparison between um, the Holy Spirit guiding and not forcing mm. and Satan's side forcing. How does the Holy Spirit reprove or convict us of sin, Harold? Well, that could be a mystery, but the Holy Spirit knows our hearts and we're all different. And uh, he talks to us, he speaks to us in so many ways. Now, John 8 has an example. John chapter 3 and verse 8. Uh, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Here, Jesus is talking with Nicodemus. He was a leader of the Jewish nation And he talks about the work of the Holy Spirit and compares it to the wind. The Holy Spirit is like an unseen wind. It's interesting too. Some people, they'll say, I know exactly the time that I gave my heart to Christ. But what they forget is that leading up to that point, the Holy Spirit would have been working on their heart, unseen, unnoticed, but slowly changing their thing. And then they make a decision when they're brought to a point to make a decision. Yes, interesting. So the Holy Spirit's been given to us to be expedient. So we've got access to the Holy Spirit, to God at all times. What then is the connection, John, between suffering uh, and the work of the Holy Spirit? When we turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 10, there, there is actually a twist on what we're what we normally do. When we suffer, we don't like it. But here the Holy Spirit is, is convicting us of sin and we need to change our lives and so on. But in Corinthians, it says here, therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. And, and so... Um, the Holy Spirit can use the suffering that we have in order for our, for our lives to actually change. And sad to say, sometimes we need a bit of persecution in our lives and some 
strife and some infirmities to really make us stop and think of what the Holy Spirit is convicting us of and we then are willing to listen. And then, as in Paul's case, he even rejoiced over infirmities. Right. Mm. It's interesting when you, just that comment you made then about persecution, you think in the, the history of the church, when persecution arose, the church became stronger. Did. People got committed. Mm-hmm. So it's just interesting, that connection. I want to um, turn now to Colossians, and I want to read uh, Colossians chapter 1 and verses 28 and 29. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. And I'm going to put a question to you, uh, Harold. It says, So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us. That is why I work and struggle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. So, Harold, what is this, quote, work and struggle, unquote, that Paul's talking about? Well, let's think of Paul's life. Paul was a Pharisee. He was a brilliant young leader. He was the, his zeal was so strong for Judaism and he persecuted the Christians. He thought he was doing the right thing, but he was going in the wrong direction. Jesus came and met him on the road to Damascus and turned his life around. And Paul is repenting of that. He's baptised and then God gives him a mission to take this gospel to all the world. But he encounters severe opposition and persecution. Let me read it. He writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 24 on, and he says, From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. 40, they thought, would kill you. So it was almost death five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils amongst false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. You know, that would be enough to turn everyone off. But Paul wrote a bit later to the Philippians and he said, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. He accepted what came to him and went through it. So that's really emphasising the the emphasis between struggle and... uh, And trusting God as you go through. Struggle with all energy. That's exactly right. Um, He talks about... This mighty power. John, what's this mighty power? The more you learn about Paul, the more you realise that he was a man with very special abilities. Yeah. God had chosen him for the work that he did. But the real power in Paul's life was not his ability or the talents that he had, but it was the Holy Spirit working in his life. Mm. When you go to Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, 
and reading once again from the New mm. King James Version. Here it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And just like Paul was committed to Christ and to the work of the Holy Spirit, we need to have the same in our lives. Mm -hmm. When we get up in the morning, we can give ourselves to God and then with the Holy Spirit, we can spend our life with him. And that's that's also uh, reflected here in uh, Philippians chapter 4. Once again, of course, it's Paul, uh, it's Paul speaking. And verse 13, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen. And so in Christ and the Holy Spirit, mm. work of the Holy Amen. Spirit, this is how we can deal with the struggles of living. Mm. Mm. Yes. It's human effort combined with divine power equals yeah. great victories is the message we're getting here. Let's turn our attention now to that to the second issue, which is the role of the, the free, free will. will. It says in John 16, 13, that the Spirit guides us. Well, if it guides us, it implies that we've got a choice. Correct. And we do have a choice. Harold, what impact do our feelings have on us making choices? Well, feelings have a very big impact in our life. Someone said that feelings can be our biggest liars. How we feel will determine often our behaviour if we let it. Now, there's a verse that refers right back to the first temptation, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6. It says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. You know, Adam and Eve were told not to eat the fruit of this tree uh, because they would die if they did that. And Eve allowed herself to linger near the tree. It must have looked good. Satan then tempts her through her feelings. Her feeling says, hey, this fruit looks great. We would say it's nutritious. And then it looks great to eat. Probably the devil, a serpent, even tried some in front of her and it was going to make her wise. What a promise. Mm. If you could be offered something that will make you wise, Mm. try it. And so she wanted all those things. Her free will allows her to decide, will she follow God or not? And God said, don't eat and it will disobey. You will die. Her feelings told her one thing eat it. And sadly, she listened to her feelings. And if we make decisions based on our feelings alone, it can often lead us to bad consequences and suffering. And it's interesting that in the world today with advertising, everything's geared to our feelings. Correct. To to guide our decision making in a certain direction. When we are suffering, um, we're, and we're feeling, you know, pain and misery. Um, 
anxiety and we feel lousy, if, if feelings are such a, a strong influence in our decisions, how do we actually uh, keep control of our feelings? John, what's the strategies? I wish I knew. <laughs> it would help all of us, wouldn't it? Yeah. But the Bible does give us guidance because here in 1 Peter, and if anybody needed to exercise self-control, it, it was uh, the Apostle Peter who did mm -hmm. quite a bit of that because he was so impetuous. But he says here in chapter 1, verse 13, from the New Living Translation, and I'm reading, so prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. This is actually something that we can do and mm -hmm. practice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so we prepare our minds and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. And so here through watching Jesus Christ and listening to what his word says, we, we can actually learn how to exercise uh, the control that, that needs to protect our minds right. from the evil that comes, and we can separate ourselves uh, from that and learn how to focus our thoughts mm. on what God and the word has in mind. Mm. Yeah, because it's interesting that when we're feeling down, lonely, miserable, that's the least you want to pray. Correct. It's the very time you don't want to pray, but it's the very time you need to pray. Right. So it's important we do have to have a strategy to control and train our thoughts. I want to now turn to um, Matthew and uh, chapter 5. This is the, the section where Jesus is speaking from the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, so chapter 5, I'm going to read verses 28 and 29. And um, it says... But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Now, Harold, what is the point Jesus is making here? Well, Jesus is really saying here that sin starts in our minds. We think of something and sin starts there. It's not action, it starts here. And our outward acts are just a manifestation of what we're thinking. Let me read to you what the wisest man said, Solomon in Proverbs, and he said, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. And so thinking not only commences it, but that's where it takes its first action. Mm. John, when you read those, uh, those verses, you know, Jesus' remedy for looking at a woman with lust is to take your eye out. Um, that's pretty extreme. How are we to interpret what this is really meaning, what this is saying? Well, first of all, Jesus was always dramatic in what he said. <laughs> and so he said, it's better to pluck your eye out than to, you know, <laughs> die from immorality. And of course, the answer to that is very, very true. But really, when you see something and recognize it as being wrong, you can close your eyes, mm. which is the equivalent to taking it out. And so when you are seeing something, turn the knob. When you are tempted to say something, 
say something good or take at least a deep breath. And so there are many things that we can do to make sure that the senses that come into our eyes and go through into our mind and so on, there are many things that we can do that will short circuit that. And, and then we find that um, we are actually doing what, uh, what Jesus wants us to do, and that is to cut off these points, these sensory inputs that there are uh, into our system. It's, it's sort of easy to say, um, mm-hmm. yes, Jesus is being dramatic, it's easy to say, but Harold, how do we actually carry out such a turning away? Again, we're, we're talking about suffering and, and mind and controlling our thoughts. How do we carry out such a turning away? Well, you know, Proverbs said that self-control is, if you, without it, it's like a city that doesn't have its walls. They're broken down. And God has given us a free will. We can choose and we need to make the right choices to avoid causing our own suffering. Now, let me read to you what the Spirit will give if you choose that. Galatians in chapter 5 writes this way, But the fruit of the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law, and those who are Christ has crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And so when we allow the Holy Spirit to come into our life, he gives us these fruits. We will be able to control. We will show love and joy and happiness. And so to protect these avenues of our mind, we need to every day ask the Holy Spirit come into our lives and empower us that we can live as Jesus lived. Now, Harold, I'm going to to stay with you now with this next question. Um, When we're suffering, our minds uh, don't want to pray. We want to sort of give up. Uh, Life's really hard. Do you see that we have any excuses that our particular suffering, our particular trials um, are so bad and our feelings you know, so strong that we can't make right decisions. Well, they couldn't have been worse than Paul got. We read that before. But he writes that there is an answer and he wrote it to the Corinthians. Chapter 10 and verse 13 says, No temptation, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And so here is the promise. God is sort of testing us. He's letting things come that will strengthen us and choose him. And if we choose to be with him, the temptation can be beaten and he provides the way to get victory over this sin. And as you get victory now, it will make it easier the next time. And so temptation gets less as we go and do this. God says, I've given you the way. Mm. Trust me. So we, we've given the Holy Spirit. We've got, uh, we've got no excuses not making the right decisions Correct. despite our circumstances. Let's look at perseverance. John, um, 
some of, the, some of our trials and hardships can last a lifetime. Some people may have a debilitating disease that they've got to cope with. What, is, what examples do we have in the Bible of, of individuals who have kept the faith despite what's going on? Well, the very first book written was the book of Job. And God took everything away from him except his wife. <laughs> and everything else he lost. But Job was able to see the end rather than what was happening to him at the present. And in Job chapter 19 and verse 25 and 26, he says, For I know that my Redeemer lives. He shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God. And so he hung on to God while he was going through the difficulties. It's interesting too, Job had many questions, many whys. Why me? Why, why, why have I lost my children? Why have I lost my income? Why have I lost everything, my security? Why, why? God starts speaking in verse chapter 38 and when God starts speaking, he doesn't answer his questions. He gives Job a whole lot of questions and Job realised that all he can do is to trust God regardless. And folks, sometimes when we are in uh, suffering things that we don't understand. We just have to trust God regardless that he's in control. Mm -hmm. Harold, another Bible example is the story of Jacob. Tell us about his, uh, his perseverance. Well, Jacob was when he deceived his father and uh, he ran away. He was gone for 20 years and he came back, but he'd deceived his brother. He'd big taken, he'd really taken the birthright and the blessing from Esau. And when he came back, he wrestled with Jesus, the man, the Bible says. He wrestled with the man to the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he didn't prevail, Jesus touched his hip and he put it out of socket. Wow, that would have been painful. And he said, let me go. And Jacob said, I won't let you go unless you bless me. Even in pain, he hangs on to God. And so that might be an example of what we have to do. Hang on to God every day when things come to us. It's interesting that story too. Um, Jacob comes through that experience with a, with a permanent limp. Yes. And sometimes our, our trials and suffering can result in us having a permanent disability. disability yeah. But through the power of God in our life, we can overcome that disability. Right. So John, just in closing, is there anything that we can actually, any good come from our suffering in your view? Well, Jesus' brother and the church leader in James chapter 1 and verses 2 and 4, he says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. And so from trials come extra good qualities in our character. Right. And patience is one of those. Amen. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Amen. Thanks, John, and thanks, Harold. One thing is certain in this life, and that is that we will all experience hardship and suffering, but we can have comfort when hardship arrives. We are to remember that the Holy Spirit will be right on our side to give us the power to persevere and endure. In the meantime, we are to guard against our feelings to control our decisions. Thank you for joining us on Let God Speak. Remember, all past programs plus teachers' notes are available on our website, 3abinaustralia.org.au. Email us if you wish 
and join us again next time and God bless. You have been listening to Let God Speak, a production of 3ABN Australia Television. To catch up on past programs, please visit 3abnaustralia.org.au. Call us in Australia on 02 4973 3456 or email radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. We'd love to hear from you.